Hello and welcome to The Power Switch, gaming's call-in talk radio show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Peter Spasia, and today is January 1st, 2017. This is the first episode of the podcast. We use the Discord app as a means to add and drop callers to talk about video games and switch the power in a typical video game podcast. You can join our server to participate during recordings at bit.ly slash thepowerswitch with TPS capped. We are brought to you by rhymeswithasia.com. Now allow me to add myself to the list of the many people to wish you a happy new year. And as we begin 2017, we start this new experiment in video game podcasting. So in the coming weeks, we'll also be broadcasting the live recordings of the show on Twitch and also making the show available on podcast services like iTunes and Google Play. Our pilot episode that you may or may not have listened to was all about reflection. And now 2016 and its terrific slate of games are behind us. So we now look forward to 2017, which is what we're going to do with this episode. In case you missed our pilot episode, we're hoping to have these podcasts happen more than once per week, generally lining up with the evenings of when big game news breaks. We'll take about 10 minutes at the start of the show to reflect on the main topic of the episode. And then after a small commercial break, we'll set up callers to join the show to either discuss the show's main topic or bring up any gaming question of their choosing. Once that's run its course, I'll end the show with a fun segment. We'll call it a day, hopefully in about an hour's time. And if that sounds like your kind of podcast, let's get right into it. So yes, 2017 has begun, and I generally like to make predictions at the start of the year. Of course, I like to make predictions throughout the year, as you hopefully will get to hear on this podcast, as I've done in podcasts past. But you know, during our pilot episode, I touched on 11 video game predictions that I made at the beginning of 2016 and how I kind of fared that way. Well, I've prepared 11 such predictions for 2017, and before I post them on rhymeswithasia.com or anything like that, I wanted to share them with you and maybe gather your thoughts about them. Now, these go from what I believe to be most likely to least likely. So I guess keep that in mind as I go through the range of the 11. Number one, Nintendo Switch launches at $249 on March 17th in the United States with Super Mario Switch as its best-selling non-bundled launch title. I know that there's a kind of a lot there, so let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, that's assuming that Super Mario Switch is going to be the name of the Mario game that we saw in the Nintendo Switch reveal video. I mean, I think that's that's almost too easy of a name, right? But I almost imagine like that's probably what they're going to go with. I don't think we're going to get a, a universe or a Galaxy 3 or a Mario 3D World 2 or anything like that. It wouldn't surprise me if the Switch moniker gets added to some of these Nintendo uh, game titles. So... This is also assuming that that game isn't bundled with any possible SKUs of of the Nintendo Switch. I mean, there could be two SKUs, perhaps, like a 249 starter bundle, maybe a 300 one that bundles in a game, and maybe a micro SD card for additional expansion. But I would imagine that, you know, Mario would probably be one of the best-selling launch titles there. And 249, like, that seems pretty in line with a lot of what people are sort of predicting on the internet. Same thing with that March 17th United States in the 19th in Europe, sort of that kind of release date. That seems pretty in line. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Number two, Xbox's Scorpio model has a price point of $499 at its fall 2017 launch. Some people are saying that, you know, they need it to be $400 at $399. Maybe they'll have some sort of in-between at $449, but If Microsoft is talking about the teraflops that they're wanting to really pack into the system to make it really like a high-level PC, then it's going to be pricey. And I know that throughout the course of the year, at the end of 2017, the cost of that technology may fall a little bit. But it was almost like between $499 and then maybe some big Microsoft hubris of, are they going to do $599 US dollars, take a Sony line there? But I think $499 is a pretty safe bet as far as, you know, still wanting to make money on it, but not have it dip too low, if that makes sense. So I think it's still going to hit fall 2017 as as a big bump, you know, with things being delayed. That's That could get pushed. I'm not entirely positive there, but... $4.99, I think, will be fair for Xbox's Scorpio. I'm not about to do a prediction on a name or anything like that, but that's that's where I think it's going to be at. Number three, Red Dead Redemption 2 gets delayed to 2018. Now, that may be low-hanging fruit there a little bit, 
But, you know, last year I predicted that Mass Effect Andromeda would be the game that gets pushed to 2017, and that ended up being right on the money. For as big of a, a buildup as that had with Red Dead Redemption 2 earlier this in 2016, with the logos and the teasing and the screenshots and ultimately the trailer, we didn't see too much in the trailer. And to have it be a fall 2018 game, I was almost expecting, like, yeah, Red Dead Redemption 2 is ready, and it's going to be spring 2017. Let's go. And... That seems like a spring sort of release, especially with the original Red Dead Redemption 2 when that launched. So, wouldn't surprise to see that one get pushed. Number four, Ubisoft is bought out by Vivendi. A sad prediction, one I hope does not happen because everything Vivendi touches turns to trash. Uh, but slowly but surely, Vivendi has been buying more share into uh, into Ubisoft and. I think this is the year where it kind of hits that tipping point and they make a play for him. Uh, I don't want that to happen, especially when Ubisoft's working on the next Assassin's Creed game, which I'm I'm looking forward to. I mean, rumors saying that it's going to be Empire, you know, set in ancient Egypt. That would be really interesting, especially when they're kind of taking a break and breathing in new life into the franchise. That would be really interesting. But if Vivendi gets mixed up in that, like Ubisoft has a lot of great intellectual property and I really don't want to see that company fall apart, but the way it's trending, it's it's not looking good. Number five, Sucker Punch reveals a new IP at E3, along with Bluepoint remastering an infamous collection. Now, the new IP for Sucker Punch at E3, I mean, PlayStation fans would imagine, like, that's, that should be a slam dunk. They're the last first-party studio that has yet to reveal their PlayStation 4 project. E3 would make the most sense for that. I really would love to see the Bluepoint addition to this, though, uh, because Bluepoint did such a good job with the Uncharted collection, and to remaster the Cole McGrath games in Infamous and Infamous 2, give it that PS4 shine, and they have that same sort of polished carryover as kind of a refresher, like, hey, this is what we did at Sucker Punch, but here's our new project. I would like to see that kind of tie along in there. Number six, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild has the highest Metacritic score at the end of 2017. This was an honor that went to Uncharted 4 Among Thieves this year. Uh, Despite all the very good games that 2016 had, they had the highest Metacritic score. And it would not surprise me to see Breath of the Wild review very highly this year. Uh, it's It seems to be like a possible game of the year contender before it even releases. So that's that's one thing you could almost predict. It's like, oh, what are going to be the five game of the year nominees at the end of the year? That's always fun. But then you have the complication of games that get revealed and you're not entirely sure what will be good or whatnot. But everything that everyone is seeing about Breath of the Wild, like there's a lot of positivity around that buzz. And hopefully that makes the Switch launch. There seems to be now some uncertainty with that. If it's going to be maybe a June title or if the marketing is now starting to build up towards Zelda Breath of the Wild being a Switch launch game. That would be really interesting, actually. But I think it'll be the highest Metacritic score at the end of the year. Number seven, Halo 6 is announced at E3 2017 for a 2018 launch. Now, I wouldn't expect much more than just a tease this is happening, almost like a uh, sort of thing with uh, Halo 5 Guardians when Master Chief had the, the cloak over and you know had the Guardian and that sort of tease trailer. But to get them start to talking about Halo 6 again, especially with Scorpio, and is this going to be a game that they want to talk about pushing with the the play anywhere on PC, so it's Xbox One and PC sort of thing, uh, you know, give it that Scorpio bump, it wouldn't surprise if we see Halo 6 uh, talked about at E3 2017. Number eight, an Overwatch port for Nintendo Switch is announced. Now, I don't think this would happen at the Switch conference, I don't think it would even be in the launch window. And it would be something that would take a lot of work because Overwatch kind of needs to be connected all the time. So maybe there's some reworking that would have to be done for such a port. But it wouldn't make sense to have, you know, such colorful, energetic characters. And you're talking about Nintendo trying to go for that esports push. If people want to play Overwatch on a portable, like it's it's a possible third-party relationship that, you know, Activision does have with Nintendo and Activision Blizzard. Uh, You know, Activision's wanted to, you know, push Call of Duty games to the Nintendo systems in the past. So I think it would make sense. It's it's a bold prediction. We're kind of getting close to the bottom half of the the prediction list here. But uh, I think it'd be really interesting to see, especially maybe at the later half of the year for an announcement. 
Number nine, a Star Wars world is confirmed for Kingdom Hearts 3, which still does not launch in 2017. Going to be a big year for Star Wars, obviously, uh, with Battlefront 2 in the works. They're going to try to push that out for the fall. Uh, you know, I'm sure they would have some sort of Episode 8 DLC planned for once the movie releases or after. And it would not be a surprise that, you know, with the frenzy of Star Wars going on right now, that, you know, they... Tease that as part of the slow drivel of Kingdom Hearts 3 information. Uh, it, it would be a bold step to take, just like saying a Marvel world would be a, a big, big deal. Uh, but it's, it's a bold prediction, uh, and I think yeah, that could happen this year. Number 10, Koei Tecmo announces Fire Emblem Warriors for Nintendo Switch. There is talk in the rumor mill about how Koei Tecmo really liked working on... Zelda with Hyrule Warriors and that they want to make another Warriors project. Apparently the rumor is that they tried pitching Star Fox Warriors to Nintendo and Nintendo's like, no, let's not do that. But Fire Emblem would make a lot of sense. Now, I don't know if it's overkill, especially with the Shin Megami Tensei Crossfire Emblem. And then we're going to have the Fire Emblem mobile game this year from Nintendo. But if we're not going to have a full-fledged Fire Emblem game, at least in the early part of Switch's uh, life cycle, maybe something like this from a third-party offering, unless it's you know going to be another Hyrule Warriors port, you know, Master Edition, full collection on Switch, extra features. I don't know, but if if they do work with a new IP, you could just say, oh, well, they'll work with a new Nintendo IP. But where's the fun in that? Going to put some stake in the game. Let's say Fire Emblem Warriors uh, for my number ten prediction. And number eleven, let's throw it out there. A new Sony handheld device is announced as a successor to PlayStation Vita. Do I think it will happen? I'd love it to. I'm a big fan of the PlayStation Vita, but I'm not going to be realistic and say, oh, it's going to happen. They're going to see the success of Nintendo Switch and they're going to be like, boy, we need a handheld with the dual triggers and PS4 have it work better with the share play. Yeah, we, we need that. We need Vita too. I'm not going to really hold the feet to the fire there and say it's going to happen, but I'll put it on the list just in case it does. So I figured those would be my 11 predictions that I would kind of have last throughout the year. We'll see which ones happen, which ones you know don't, and which ones look terrible looking back on it at the end of 2017. But it's always fun to kind of prognosticate and look forward. So as we come back from the break here, we'll take your calls, we'll maybe get some of your predictions through 2017. We'll maybe have some reactions to my predictions there uh, and maybe just any sort of gaming topics that you have in mind. So we'll have that when we come back. All right, welcome back to the Power Switch. Here with the callers for this episode, ready to talk about 2017 predictions, or really whatever else you'd like to talk about. The phone lines are open, so to speak, and the floor is yours. So DQP from Alaska, welcome. Thank you for having me again. Nice no problem. Yeah, you were here for the pilot episode, so welcome back to open things up for episode one. Indeed. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. What would you like to talk about? I would like to talk about a game that I think caught everybody by surprise when it was announced this year, and I think... Aside from maybe Persona 5, it might be the game I'm actually excited about the most this coming year. And that is uh, Sonic Mania. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and there's a lot that I thought about when Sonic Mania was announced. And especially with all of the events that happened this year regarding Nintendo and fan games and things like that. And I feel like Sonic Mania could be an interesting title to watch, not just to see if it's any good, but to see how well it does. It could be a way to gauge how Sonic's going to perform in the future. I don't know if you've seen the video. Um, I don't know who created it. I have to look it up. But they coined the term high bit, hmm. which is a way to describe a graphical style that is retro pixel art, but not necessarily mimicking the Super Nintendo or Genesis. It's more of a high def pixel art. Like Metal Slug or Owl Boy or Shovel Knight, maybe even. Yeah. Uh, those those are games that do use a sort of retro style, but 
it's more of an artistic kind of thing. Hyper Light Drifter being another right. really, really very, good example. Very true. And Sonic Mania is the first time I think that um, a big, giant AAA company is toying with that kind of art style. I'm sure a lot of you are going to argue, well, it's not technically Sega. It's more like, um, what's the guy's name? Like Taxman oh. or... It's the same guy who developed... Uh, he, he started out making like retro Sonic fan games. Yes. Yeah. And then he went on to remake the old ones for mobile and Steam. But it's interesting that Sega is giving him the keys and saying, hey, make your own Sonic game. And it's actually getting more press than the actual other Sonic game that's coming out, which I'm also kind of excited for. But I, don't, I feel more confident in Sonic Mania a little bit. Right. And, and we have seen more in it. Uh, first of all, we got to give XLF credit in the chat over on our Discord channel. It's saying Christian Whitehead, also known as Taxman, is the that's one the guy. responsible. Thank you. So thank you there. But yeah, um, we've seen more from Sonic Mania and they had great reaction at their uh, 25th anniversary concert. You know, you can remember that event for the, for the bad live stream and for the, the Crush 40 concert that had people howling and yelling and singing. Uh, I, really, but, <laughs> I, I really prefer to remember like the trailer itself rather than the event. But, but that was it was a great trailer and it was a great reaction, of course, even when they, they showed it the second time and all that. But yeah, we haven't seen much from sonic 2017 the sort of it might be generations two sort of thing maybe people are speculating maybe they'll add sonic boom sonic as a third you know character but i honestly don't know but it's it seems like a good way to regain that sort of goodwill that they earned with colors and generations but also really lost when sonic boom came out Mm -hmm. so yeah and it is really interesting to compare Sega's openness to kind of taking a new approach, you know, having some outside help, but experienced help come in to do with that. Uh, you can kind of almost compare it to Nintendo. And as, as I'm sure you were thinking with their response to fan games and how they've wanted to shut things down and say, well, no, we know better. But at the same time, you also have something like uh, Mother 3, where people have done their own translation patches that for years and that's been a thing for a long time now the rumor is that it's apparently a, a really badly kept secret in europe in particular that no a translation for mother three is in the works it's it's done it's something that they are wanting to announce but it's a matter of when uh but it's a matter of like well, was that nintendo in-house or did they recruit some of that help and, and we don't know so it's it's a very sort of different approach to allowing that kind of outside help. Well, it's a translation that the creator of the game actually approved. Not right, officially. right. Yeah. Um, but you bring up a good point. And that's something that I also wanted to get to is it's going to be interesting to see how Nintendo in particular reacts to Sonic Mania if yeah, it does yeah. really, really well. Because there are a lot of things that Nintendo could learn from Sonic Mania if it does really well. The first, obviously, is the whole fan game sentiment. We saw a lot of news about how they shut down AM2R. They shut down Pokemon Uranium and another ROM hack recently. Yeah, it was Prism, Prism I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. They even had nominations removed from the Game Awards. So that was, I'm sure, a huge blow to the people who worked so hard on these fan games. And meanwhile, Sega looks at these fan games and is like, yeah, I bet these guys could make a good Sonic game. And they let them make a good Sonic game and sell them even. So that's one thing that Nintendo could afford to look at. And the other thing is, I think if any big developer could look at this sort of super high-bit graphical style, it's Nintendo. Mm -hmm. I think Nintendo could do awesome stuff with that art style. Like, imagine if Nintendo made a game in the style of something like Super Mario All-Stars or something. But it was a totally new game. And the art style was way more refined than just super nintendo yeah i think a franchise that would be ripe for the picking for that would be metroid like if, yeah. if metroid yeah. is going to be coming to switch in any capacity i don't know if they want to go back to the the prime wheelhouse i mean that trilogy is open and shut like it's done but if you want to have kind of that retro appeal and to make people happy with that like metroid would be big for the picking well i mean you've heard me speculate about how from software could be developing metroid and how that would be really really awesome but with that being said I would also totally be game to see like a new, not quite 16-bit, but still sort of retro-styled Metroid game in the old 2D Super Metroid style. Mm -hmm. I feel like Nintendo could still be best in class in that regard, especially now that we have games like Axiom Verge or Guacamelee really kind of showing up Nintendo. Oh, yeah. In a way. Oh, yeah. 
or you could apply it to Zelda. We could see them take the sort of uh, Link Between Worlds approach and apply a sort of pixelated hyperlight drifter kind of art style to it. And it could look really, really good. Plus, another positive thing about that is that they wouldn't be too hard to run. So it would be prime material for a Switch port where you could easily just pick it up and it would still run totally fine. Certainly. Yeah, and the Switch is certainly seeming powerful enough to run those kinds of games very well. And now another thing that we should consider, especially when it comes to the Pokemon hacks. I mean, I know Metroid is a whole different situation entirely. I mean, we're almost like at ground level with that, trying to build that franchise back up for, you know, popular excitement and whatnot, because it's it's still a very niche crowd when Metroid games come out. Like Metroid games don't sell very well, but it's a very dedicated fan base. But when we're comparing the Sonic games and the Pokemon games, as far as Sega's openness to work with fan developers versus Pokemon fan developers, I mean, those two franchises are at very different states right now. It's not so much franchises as it is just Nintendo itself. I think it could be both, to be fair. I mean, Nintendo has a historical sort of precedence of not being very open with those sort of projects. But at the same time, like Pokemon has never been bigger for Nintendo, arguably. That's, that's also uh, so, true. So like they don't want anyone sort of sneaking in and kind of stealing a bit of that pie. Whereas Sonic coming off of Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric, I mean, yeah, they do have the 3DS game, but I'm sorry, it was a bit inconsequential there. Yeah, Sonic has a way to build back up. And so when they have the 2017 game versus Mania, like they need the help in a way to help build that franchise back up. I agree. And this is something where I think Nintendo's sort of uh, infamous possessiveness of their franchises could really hurt them. Hmm. And I feel like uh, if Sonic Mania does particularly well, it's not just Sega that could learn from Sonic Mania doing really well. It's Nintendo as well, I think. Certainly. And we are at the start of a new president with Nintendo. Uh, They're being more open with their IP and with, you know, the universal announcement. There's even the talk of, you know, Nickelodeon and uh, Frederator doing an animated series of, you know, uh, one of the best franchises for games the last 30 years. So that's making people think it's Nintendo related. Um, so we'll see if a Nickelodeon animated show comes to Nintendo and that's, you know, they're being more open that way. So it is kind of a start of a new era for Nintendo and they have to kind of change their way of thinking. But yeah, we'll, we'll certainly have to see in the coming years if Nintendo kind of shifts their ways about, you know, these kind of fan projects and outside help with their IP. They have a lot to learn going into 2017 especially if you compare uh, how Pokemon Go did compared to their other crazy mobile efforts. Right, right. Things oh, like that. Gosh, that, I mean, that's almost a, a topic for another time but with the the backlash of the, the mobile fan just reaction to $9.99 for a full game. Uh, they're, that's, that's a scam and they're ripping us off and it's, meanwhile, it's, a, it's meanwhile, a premium Square product, e- yeah. Meanwhile, Square Enix charges $15 for 15-year-old games. And anyway, I could go into more. Yeah, like that. That's a whole other topic there for another time. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, Sonic Mania is going to be 2017's biggest learning opportunity mm. for mm. the game industry in 2017, as well as maybe the Switch. But I think this is probably one of the first times anyone other than maybe Valve or Bethesda is really letting their fans take charge of one of their biggest franchises, and it's going to be interesting to see how that goes from. Not only a critical standpoint, but from a commercial standpoint. If Sonic Mania does really, really super well, it could open the floodgates for more companies to say, you know what, maybe we should let our fans do stuff about this. Maybe we should let fans develop a new Metroid game. Maybe we could be more open towards modding or other sort of fan creations. And I think that could be a real positive force when it comes to video gaming in 2017. Let's put it this way. I'm okay with the power being switched, as it were. Uh Uh-huh. I see what you did. (laughs) All right. And they can find you on Twitter at SuperDQP. That's correct. I'm just remembering Uh, based on last time. But anything else you want to quickly plug? I've been working on a huge three-hour-long video project over the course of this past year. And it's finally being finished and published this week. So if you want to check that out and hear me gush about video games for three hours or more over the course of like 10 different videos. You can find me at super DQP on YouTube as well. Uh, You can follow me on Facebook again at super DQP and I don't stream often, but if you want to 
follow me there. I'm at DQP742. And uh, that's all she wrote. All right. Thanks so much for calling. No worries. Have a wonderful new year, everybody. Great. Thank you. You too. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see all the different learning opportunities for the industry. Uh, you know, you could almost say this past year had uh, No Man's Sky was a big learning opportunity. There's an interesting article. I want to say it was on Gama Sutra, but I'm not too sure where. Some studios are almost a little hesitant now on the big hype early out and especially kind of to try to learn from no man's sky nobody wants to pull a no man's sky in that sense so i think those kind of learning cases throughout the year are going to be really interesting just anytime the game industry can learn from itself it's always very helpful and uh, something you will certainly be talking about as the show develops but yeah sonic mania definitely one of my more anticipated games for 2017. zero ranma from colorado welcome to the power switch how are you i'm doing fine well not entirely fine. I'm sick, but you know. Oh no! Fine, Sorry to hear. Fine, relatively fine. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to call in. What's up? Well, what's up is a certain game that a lot of us have been super hyped for, but has been repeatedly delayed mm-hmm. over here. Meanwhile, it came out in Japan, and it was probably like one of the bigger games that they had for that last year. And well, I'm sure it's going to be improving more and more over there, whereas we're still waiting for April. The game I'm referring to is, of course, Persona 5. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's my most anticipated game for 2017. Uh, I'm a big Persona fan. I got to play the Japanese version of Persona 5, maybe the first hour. And honestly, like, if you do not know Japanese, like, you're going through the motions. Like, you don't <laughs> clean anything yeah. because of all the text. Like, all the choices <laughs> pop up, and you're just like, I'm, I'm just winging it here. I mean, love the style of it. I've been digging the soundtrack for the last three four months uh it's it's a great listen i'm really looking forward to everything in context and i get that they have to really do their due diligence with localization to make a great product yeah when they streamed last year they mentioned like it did a lot better than any of them had expected and that scared them so it's crazy yeah do the entire dub yeah, well, I, it's it's pretty amazing because like they had high expectations to begin with, and like it's it's going to be one of the best games of the year probably on Metacritic if you know any reviews from over there are any indication. Uh, we're talking right. you know, ninety at least probably on Metacritic. Granted that that may be not the best way to measure it, but you get the point. It's really going to be interesting. I'm I'm very excited for it, uh, and really they can't afford to push it again any further yeah. yeah past april like i get give them a couple extra months to help but no more yeah well that's where one of my little predictions comes in is that yes it's gotten delayed but i have a feeling they're gonna finish sooner than expected mm. and they'll pull it back interesting like i know some games have done that recently or just in general like they'll probably pull it back like maybe a month or so not wow. not too long it's not gonna go back to its original date of like valentine's day but probably like sometime in March, I'm sure it'll actually come out. That's really interesting to think about because right now what's currently (laughs) slated for March is uh, obviously Nintendo Switch is probably going to be mid-March. Right. uh, Judging on some of the rumors. If you're talking about big game releases, it it would be looking like around the 21st or so. Granted, they haven't confirmed it, but that's where many people expect Mass Effect Andromeda to fall. Yeah. Uh, so I almost think that they're in a pretty good space right now. If you're talking about some breathing room amongst the other releases, I think they're in an okay position now. Granted, you know, Valentine's Day would have been really nice. You know, the whole spend some time with your waifu joke, you know, what have you. But the early April slot is okay right now. Granted, I'm definitely okay with getting that game sooner than expected. Um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who has the Take Your Heart Premium Edition on pre-order waiting for that. Like, that's... That's really, I, I really can't wait for that. But at the same time, to have the maximum sort of impact on the gaming industry, to have the maximum possible sales, uh, I think you have to probably almost stay in that sort of window. Yeah, probably. But I would love that prediction. I would love that that prediction came true. Other things I was thinking of is like, now that Persona 5's had a few months out in Japan and we've gotten like all these dlc costumes and you know not really much in terms of dlc for that game i'm thinking what they're going to do over there and eventually over here is put out like miniature dlc scenarios for Hmm. for each thing like yeah meet up with like the persona 3 cast or the persona 4 cast or whatnot (laughs) 
That would be interesting. I, I, I really like the different DLC <clears throat> sets that they had, the costumes over there, I and mean, the Catherine one in particular. Like a lot of that, it was just so spot on. And so I really do hope those come over here for at least cheap, if not free. Maybe that sounds a little entitled, but you know, <laughs> you've pushed the game back enough. I mean, we're talking, it's, it's going to be more than half a year uh, at this yeah. point from the Japanese release. But yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for Persona 5 for a game that you can't really get any sense of if you don't know Japanese. Love what like, I play, but no context. I guess that's about it, really. I wasn't going to talk too long about that. No, it's fine. Like, I, I'm really excited to talk about Persona 5. And when we get closer to that game, uh, it's certainly going to be a topic. I mean, we could even, I don't know, you know, the show's in its early stages and whatnot, but we could even you know do certain spoiler casts uh, when, when the time comes and we kind of get a sense of playing certain games. And if that does happen, Persona 5 would be definitely one that I would take an active interest in in doing so yeah for sure right well where can people find you on on the internet zero ranma i have a twitter handle at zero ranma otherwise i'm i don't really do much else online so you know just that well i appreciate you calling in thanks so much oh yeah it's not a problem all right feel better man uh thanks (laughs) all right take it easy over from indiana we have samson welcome to the power switch thanks for having me on no problem what's up what's on your mind well, see, the game that I wanted to talk about was the game that surprised us all with uh, its announcement at PSX 2016 for release in late 2017, and that's Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Definitely a, an exciting moment when we all saw X walking up and Ryu and all that. It and it was great to see it high. confirmed, but you know, you had those leaks beforehand where you know, Marvel vs. Capcom 4 and all those talks. So, like, I would have loved to see that come out of nowhere, but just to see it confirmed and, yeah, to see X there and yeah, Captain Marvel coming out of nowhere. And granted, it's going to be more MCU slanted with the cinematic universe and you're going to have all the Infinity Stones and whatnot. I think that's the appropriate way to handle things, you know, whether they handle, you know, X-Men through DLC or things like that. Uh, that'll be another thing for another time. But... If I may guess, are you interested to talk about the the leak that's come out today? I haven't seen anything about the leak, but uh-huh. I was actually focusing more on you know how things might have effect on and the reactions of like the different fan bases. Uh-huh, of, right. Of this fighting game here, you know, certainly, the hardcore yeah, and the casual players, and me myself, I've kind of been both and am both. You know, I've, I've definitely spent my time scrubbing it up in Street Fighter 4, but I've also you know, actually been trying to get good in 5. played a lot of fighting games like Virtual Fighter, Tekken, Soul Calibur. Mm-hmm. So you know, definitely not the best, but I, I like to think I can analyze some stuff pretty well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I come from you know, a background of like super smash brothers and podcasting about that. But when it comes to those kind of fighting games, like I love watching them and I like analyzing them, but my tech skill is no good with the hype of rosters and all that kind of thing. Like that's, that's where I'm at. So where's your head at with uh, Marvel's Capcom infinite right now? Well, first off, I wanted to talk about the effects on the fans of the two categories here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, bring up the hardcore fans there's been a lot of changes as we've seen in Marvel vs. capcom infinite from what we've seen in two and three and it's uh started quite a stir in the competitive community uh changes like uh, removing assists making it a 2v2 fighter instead of 3v3 mm-hmm. and a very different tag system as well as the infinity stones what I've heard from a lot of these competitive uh, Marvel 3 players is that they like playing the game because they can do all these sorts of busted combos you know, off the grounds, resets, things like that. It's, it's pretty crazy to watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, and a lot of them fear that changing that from the 3 versus 3 with assists to removing the assists, bumping it down to 2v2, I've heard many talk about as if it, you know they, they think it's a downgrade that's a fair point i think uh, i'd like to look at it from both sides and uh also the tag system and infinity stones bring up the uh, thoughts of 
Street Fighter cross Tekken to a lot of fans, which definitely didn't do very well with the competitive players. That's a good point. Yeah. The interesting thing about that game is that it actually got good scores, like 9 out of 10 IGN, 84% Metacritic. But right, right. the DLC being already on the disc and just unlocked by the DLC to buy it to get the good gems to play online and actually do anything good. It just really left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of people. Yeah, it definitely was at a time where, you know, that game in 2012 coming out at around the same time, I think, as uh, Mass Effect 3. And, you know, there's the issue with the DLC on on that disc as well. And like that was a big drama point for the year. And I think at this point, either, you know, the industry's kind of moved away from it or people just care less. Yeah, but uh, I prefer to also think, you know, if it's done right, the Infinity Stones and the new systems and all that could actually be... A uh, very good, very uh, still a very deep fighting game, just in a different way. Uh, from what I've seen of the tag system, it's less like Street Fighter Cross Tekken, and more like something like uh, Tatsunoko versus Capcom. Yeah, yeah, and TBC those for are sure. Very well liked games. So you know the the tag system could and the uh, Infinity Stones could actually be you know make for a lot of very deep and same mechanics if it's done right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, Tatsunoko versus Capcom was the game that I really thought of when I saw Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. And NBC3 was a game that like, I was big into that hype and I loved watching all the trailers and all the little bits of information come out. And yeah, I tried applying myself, could not play it. But I think this is going to be kind of a similar sort of situation this year where, you know, little by little, character by character, that is, you know, assume we can talk about the leaks maybe some other time or people can go look it up online i mean the mvci uh subreddit it's it's blowing up there right now but i, I think you know tatsunoko versus capcom was a, a very good game on wii and again putting it on wii like you're not going to get the big mainstream audience but i think you're right with the infinity stones maybe they could almost treat it like again it depends on its application but maybe that's almost like the third sort of character so to speak you know depending on which stat you want to boost like that's your way of you know modifying and customizing your team in a way as long as it's it's not broken like x factor was i think it has a lot of potential yeah definitely also another point that i found was uh how it seems to have switched the button layout like in marvel vs. capcom 3 it was you know light medium heavy and then special which is basically you know launcher or other special actions Mm -hmm, right but in the trailer it looks more like a light punch heavy punch light kick heavy kick system Mm -hmm, right and i think that's very likely to add to the depth of the combos like in marvel vs. capcom 3 there was basically this thing you know which a lot of people would call the magic sequence you just go from lights to mediums to heavies to specials and and stuff like that. For example, in Street Fighter V, which I've been playing a lot of recently uh, since Akuma came out, while it's a six-button fighter, definitely different, there's combos that don't always follow the magic sequence. Like uh, if I actually land a heavy kick, heavy kick target combo, I can go back to medium kick, then do a light uh, spin kick, Tatsumaki, mm-hmm. and uh, then from that to a heavy Shoryuken. Oh, nice. So, more you know opportunities for creative combos could be opened up by the, the button layout. Mm-hmm. I think that could uh, contribute to the competitive scene quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. And then when it comes to casuals as well, I mean, I think you know opening up to the MCU really really helps with that a lot, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, of course, uh, the Marvel part of the Marvel versus Capcom right, right, yep. open it up to casual fans. Yeah, love the <laughs> love those movies been watching them all basically mm-hmm. but so that actually brings me to simplification and like focus on accessibility in fighting games it's kind of a two-edged sword it can help a little bit to bring in casual players but uh if unchecked it can turn from simplification to dumbing down right of which definitely hardcore fans competitive players would not want. I actually uh, remembered this interview by uh, Maximilian Dude. Oh yeah, he's uh, great. Uh, basically, he said how uh, 
you know, a casual player that wants to get competitive will get competitive no matter how easy or hard the game is. So simplifying it really won't make that much of a difference of uh, bringing in casual players into the hardcore category, you know? And if a player's just going to stay casual, they, they won't want to figure out the crazy things anyway. I'm uh, inclined to agree myself, mm-hmm. you know, being casual player and stuff like, you know, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 definitely uh, wasn't inclined to figuring out the, the, all the crazy off-the-ground combos and, and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, just, just have fun uh, screwing around with the happy trigger with Deadpool. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. Right. Now, and you definitely can't lose and, uh, that competitive scene, though, because it's with things like Evo and all exactly. the tournaments like they're doing with Capcom Cup. If you lose <clears throat> that hardcore competitive scene because of the changes you made your game, like you lose the life of the game. So, yeah, it is it is certainly a delicate balance because, yeah, you want that low barrier of entry, but it's the whole easy to learn, hard to master sort of thing. It's, it's a very fine mix. I really think if if it's done right, this game could really breathe a lot of uh, new life into the franchise, still be a good, deep fighting game, also while appealing to casual players, but still has the potential to be done wrong and basically die off early and be overshadowed by MVC3. You know, the the other thing I was thinking about real quick is characters. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't actually seen the leaks, but I have a little We've got the issues about the X-Men, but, you know, they've said, don't count them out. Uh, uh, open to see ones like Wolverine and Deadpool maybe come come back. You know? I mean, yeah, I mean, Wolverine, Storm, Magneto, Doom, yeah, they're all definitely. important. Like, you got to have them. Like, a, a lot of returning characters I see happening as well. Like, I see, you know, like Rocket Raccoon, Hulk, or Doctor Strange. They're CU now, so I'm, I'm betting they'll be coming back for sure. As well as like maybe Dante, Akuma, Strider. Yeah, I, I hope on the Capcom side, like they take some more chances uh, because they they did kind of play it a little oh. safe. There was some interesting uh, you know choices last time with you know Phoenix Wright, like that was that was a big one, and I hope you know he stays, maybe expand to another character, but. Capcom, like they definitely have more room to experiment, I think, because you know Marvel with the cinematic universe, it's it's pretty set there. A few, I guess, the wish list for me for mm-hmm. new characters. Yeah, I was thinking in in accordance with like the MCU, maybe we could see like Winter Soldier, Ooh, uh, maybe Thanos, Star Lord, or maybe Ant Man. I think that would be cool. I think okay. I think Star Lord is it would essentially be just a sure thing. Uh, just like along with Loki, like if you're talking about adding cinematic universe characters, you have to think like Loki and Star Lord would be almost sure things. Maybe Thanos would be kind of like a boss character. I mean, maybe that's possible. But then you wonder like is is Ultron like what role would Ultron possibly play with that? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, you know, I actually hadn't thought about Loki, but that would be pretty cool. Maybe mm-hmm. Ultron. Uh, just as long as they don't make Ultron an Iron Man clone or anything. Right, right. Yeah, no more of those. And then, like, a couple more oddball characters I was thinking. Like, Asura from Asura's Wrath. Yeah. Maybe a Monster Hunter. Or even bring some characters from, like, Sengoku Bathara. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Date Masamune. That, that'd be that'd be really cool. Uh, I think that would be a good pick. Uh, I think Asura... That's another one where, like, in the years since MVC three, like, Asura would be one. Like, yeah, put him, put him in. Like, <laughs> you should. There's plenty of potential there. It's going to be one of the more interesting games to watch. Uh, kind of develop with its news cycle throughout the course of the year. And yeah, if if you're someone who is itching to talk characters and all that, you know, check out those leaks. Uh, certainly some interesting stuff there. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see where Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite goes throughout the course of the year. All right, well, where can people yeah, find you on the internet? Thank you so much for contributing. Uh, you can find me at the Twitch S Factor Streaming and uh, the Twitter uh, S Factor Stream. Uh, it's, it's mostly my brother that does that usually. It's our uh, co-streaming channel, basically, but mm-hmm. I show up on there sometimes to play, like, Street Fighter 5 
Very cool. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Samson. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. You have a good one now. All right. And wrapping up our callers, also from Indiana, it's Sam. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on here. No problem. What's up? Um, so the topic I wanted to talk about was uh, the state of the FGC, because we know mm. it's been pretty uh, rocky. And so uh, I have some thoughts about how it's going to be in 2017 and just some thought-provoking ideas for the listeners. Cool. What's on your mind with the fighting game community? Well, you know, as everyone who who kind of keeps up with it knows, the, the FGC is very fragmented. There's the casual players who generally don't associate with the FGC, but within the FGC, uh, so we're saying just the hardcore players here, there's so many different uh, subdivisions of one big community. There's the upper crust of the FGC, the Capcom fighting players, like Street Fighter, Mm because, you know, Capcom is the big dog grandpa of the FGC. Yeah, they got the money to throw around, for sure. Yeah, Capcom Pro Tour, biggest uh, pot and biggest tournament in fighting game history. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it's pretty amazing and then we have like other subcategories of the fgc like what's called the anime fighting game community or mm-hmm. air dashers i personally don't subscribe to that too much because in my mind fighting game is a fighting game you know if the purpose is to defeat your opponent in single combat in a limited space with a set move set and super moves and what have you it's a fighting game and i that's part of the idea i wanted to talk about was that fragmentation because it's not as widespread as some might think, but there is occasionally some some bad blood between, say, the Capcom fighting game community and the anime fighting game community. And so I don't think that it's right that it's the case, but it's the internet age where you can't avoid that kind of stuff, really. Right, right, absolutely. And, and yeah, when you talk about like anime fighting games, I mean, you're thinking, you know, like Guilty Gear, Blaze Blue. Yes, uh, Guilty Gear, Blaze Blue are the two front runners for the anime fighting game community. Um, Guilty Gear tends to get a pass on being an anime fighting game, as far as like the Street Fighter players and whatnot are concerned, because or the general Western taste, because its aesthetic is very uh, rock and roll, very heavy metal. Mm, yeah, because of its creators' love for the genre of music. But as far as most of the other anime fighting games go, because of the tendency of Western sensibilities and tastes they tend to get looked down on a bit by many Western fighting game players. You got games like um, Undernight Inbirth, a very underrated gem in the uh, fighting game genre. Very easy to pick up and play, very easy to pick up, very accessible, and yet has a lot of depth with its many systems that aren't very daunting to new players because you can play without them, but it adds that depth for those who want to dig into it, but it gets overshadowed so easily by the likes of Guilty Gear, Blaze Blue, and Street Fighter. Mm. I, wow, I haven't even heard of that, to be honest. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, and then there's like so many others. You know, there's the, the what's called Dojin fighting games, like Melty Blood, which has an extremely small but dedicated fan base. And then um, games like uh, Koihime Embu and, and the likes. So there's, there's a lot more fighting games out there would our kind of hearts have, yeah, fall on that as well? Oh, our kind of heart, yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, all these games, like, there's something about it because of the tendencies of Western sensibilities. Many seem to be turned away by the just general art style that the Japanese use commonly, and then, of course, the fact that the game mechanics, such as air dashing and the higher mobility options, tend to turn people off because they're more used to Street Fighter's rooted, grounded, neutral game. Yeah. You know, playing those footsies slowly and, and patiently. Whereas in these games, you can, if you find an opening, you can dash in, whether you're on the ground or the air, open the opponent up and start up a crazy combo. But that's part of the magic of these games because it uh, allows for some very fast-paced action that you don't see in games like Street Fighter often, especially Street Fighter Five, which is much more fundamentals-based. Mm-hmm. But then not only is there that fragmentation there, there's also another subdivision that is subject to a lot of issues between it and the majority of the fgc and that would be smash brothers yes yes that's that's probably the one i'm most familiar with yes um i come heavily from smash brothers i played every title since the first came out on n64 me and my brother played brawl to death and i'm currently really into um smash on wii u Mm -hmm. and uh that's pretty much i would say my one of my favorite franchises video game franchises of all time oh yeah Uh, it's it's amazing 
yeah, yeah it, that's going to be really interesting to see what happens this year with not only a possible port of uh, Smash Wii U and you know maybe some 3DS content. See however they move that to Switch. That would be really interesting. But also the the rumors of the GameCube Virtual Console and to see how the community accepts a possible Super Smash Brothers Melee Virtual Console on Nintendo Switch. Uh, you know if there's going to be any sort of GameCube. Uh, controller compatibility, whether it's with the USB uh, port or something like that. You know, do they go with NTSC or PAL? Do they do all sorts of things? So, yeah, if you're talking, you know, video games 2017, Smash Brothers is going to be one to keep an eye on, especially if you're trying to sustain, you know, a game that's 16 years old at this point almost, and you know, going into an HD age where they want to try to push the esports, and you don't want to be carrying around those CRTs forever. Exactly, and and that is another part of the, the divisive nature of fighting games, or the FGC, I should say, because not only does the Smash Brothers scene have issues with the FGC, because personally, I consider Smash FGC. Right. You know, it's just as big. They play simultaneously at events like Evo and Apex. They coexist at these huge multi-game events. It's FGC now. It's all esports now, but. Even within Smash, there is a bit of a division between Melee and then the rest of Smash because, you know, Melee was sort of a result of um, some shortcomings in the program which allowed a level of depth that wasn't originally intended, and it became what it is now over 15 years of play, which I can't even think of any other fighting games that have been played that dedicated. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. Years. Yeah, like literally, I don't think any other games have been played that long for, with that big a fan base or big a player base. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, I think that's also part of the problem because by being so closely tied to that game, so closely dedicated, they're not as open-minded towards the changes of the franchise itself to be more in line with the concepts that caused its inception and creation. Yeah, I mean, you Which just look at something like the, the Smashbox debate where they are trying to introduce a fight stick-like controller and the community discussion that goes around with something like that is just like, oh man, and you're going to have a possible new version of the game that's going to be try to be widely adapted, and like you're going to try to take to that one. Good luck. Exactly, and like with that Smash Box, the, the way I see it is, it's a hitbox controller for Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. The FGC lets you use whatever controller input hardware you want, as long as there's no macros or turbo. Yeah, there's no reason why. The Melee community should have any issues with that. Now, the Smash 4 community is a little more open to the idea of the Smash Box than the Melee community is because they're so in their comfort zone for 15 years with the game controller, they're less willing to try something new or let something new kind of come in and possibly shake up the metagame that's been established for so long. But the main thing I wanted to talk about is why does there have to be these divisions? Why does there have to be some of these attitudes in the FGC the whole FGC towards games in the same genre that just have differences in mechanics or aesthetics. You know what I mean? And I'm hoping that's something that'll get better over 2017 because these attitudes cause so many games to be just, just fade into obscurity. So many gems Mm -hmm. like that under night in birth that I mentioned, that's a PS3 and PC game. Uh, It was released, I think last year or yeah, on PC some points. So it's like, the FGC is growing in size and in support, but at the same time, these internal attitudes kind of limit its growth, yeah. you know, limit its inclusivity. And I think that if, unfortunately, because of human nature, it's not likely, but it would be nice if there could be more camaraderie, you know, despite differences in opinions and tastes, just like with shooters and whatnot, you know, uh, any other genre, if you think about it, there. There may not be as many subgenres in the other genres, but there still are various differences in games, and some of them have issues like that. And you know, it's like it's not so much about competitive versus casual with the FGC because the casual players will play fighting games casually, competitive players will play it competitively. That's easy. But being someone who comes from both Smash and FGC, having played old fighting games in arcades and having played a lot of Smash Brothers having that perception and the point of views of both kind of makes me see how foolish it is and mm-hmm. how much it needs to to change and be fixed, you know, just kind of right. come to a resolution. So what right. if you don't like an anime fighting game, don't label it anime fighting game because in reality, all the good fighting games are made in Japan anyway. 
No, that's you a know? great perspective. I, I really do appreciate that. And it, it shows, I think it shows a maturity because yeah, you do have those points of view. I think it's similar to if you get to a point where, you know, say the, the whole console war idea, if you get to a point where you can afford all of the different video game consoles where you can purchase all of them and you don't have to worry about the discrepancies between them. And so you're not so rooted, you know, wanting one fan base to falter while yours succeeds. You just enjoy everything equally. I think, I think it's a similar sort of thing. I mean, people I think get very defensive about their game, their sort of environment. Uh, and, you know, for the fighting game community, certainly I think the best communities uh, as far as inclusiveness and welcoming inside their own game space, uh, you know, the FGC is among the best as far as those kind of like they're very friendly, very open. I mean, particularly the Smash community. I mean, I have experience with that. But even with, with Street Fighter and Marvel versus Capcom, like, you know, there's it's it's so welcoming when you especially when you compare it to. Uh, you know, say, you know, League of Legends or Call of Duty. I mean, those those can be, you know, toxic and, you know, not maybe not so welcoming to new players. Uh, but at the same time, it's there's only so much time. And especially, I think, as we get older that, you know, when you try to commit to a certain game, like maybe you get really hard boiled and entrenched in that environment and you want to see it succeed. I mean, especially when you're talking about Evo and like these big tournaments where only so many games make the cut on the big stage and you're seeing the rise of esports and that's only, you know, getting bigger as 2017, you know, just begins. Uh, you know, there's only so many games that can get that kind of big coverage. And I think it is, you're right. It is kind of shameful that we have to put down other games for that. And you shouldn't have to, right? I mean, we, we should be opening and accepting. And I think that's, that's something I'd like to promote with this show. And, you know, we talk about games positively uh, and, you know, kind of with a, with these different perspectives. So I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And like, you know, another sub genre or sub community is like King of fighters, for example. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Very time tested. And you know, it just recently came back this, uh, in 2016 with, um, King of fires 14 on the PlayStation four and a great game, you know, it got a lot of heat for its graphics, but SNK got bought out by a Chinese company. They didn't have a lot of funds for this one. So they did really well with what they had. They, they focused on the gameplay first. It's solid. They did one balance change. That's all they needed, and now it's extremely balanced. And now they're working on the graphics with a free update. They did great. But King of Fighters, for some reason, is mostly popular in Latin American areas mm. rather than in yeah. the general, you know, North America and Europe. You know, it's 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 a strange thing. It's like because of those attitudes that seem to be prevalent in the FGC, the, the divisive or divided community, like I said, it, it limits a lot of games' growths, and we could, if it weren't for that, we could see a lot more diversity in games that get as much attention as Street Fighter, you know? Or at yeah, least close yeah. to it. Because, I mean, Smash Brothers Melee, by the community itself, is second only to Street Fighter at those huge events. Right, right. And yeah, I so. I only tune into uh, King of Fighters actually at Evo, because usually it's like, it's whether it's at uh, just before... Uh, melee or some other event that I want to watch, but when I tune into King of Fighters, like yeah, I, I like what I see. I mean, it's it's a great game. Yeah, and you know, I, as someone who plays a lot of different fighting games, I have an appreciation for the different styles, and mm -hmm. so I have yet to find that one that really pulled me in. I found a few that are contenders, but you know, with college and work, it's kind of hard to uh, put enough time into it. At oh, the absolutely, moment. absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm at a point where, <laughs> yeah, all the all the real life stuff, you know sets in and like i still want to play all types of different games so like yeah, it's it's at a point where if people had the time to commit to one game i mean that that's admirable but, but, you know when when you get older and you want to still experience the breadth of, of video games and for in your case you know the range of fighting games like it's it's tough to find the one game to really focus in on but yeah the yeah. different perspectives and the you know experiencing all sorts of games like that helps broaden your range of experience and yeah like why should we have to we shouldn't have to put down you know, another game just to have another rise. Exactly. I mean, I occasionally play uh, at my local competitive Super Smash Bros. for Wii U community mm -hmm. um, and do fairly decent. I would do better if I had more time to put into it, but that's going to change this year because some scheduling stuff switched around and they're playing at the arcade down the street. So I have a lot more freedom for that. Nice. Um, and then at the same time, you know, um, I enjoy traditional fighters, you know? And so I feel like if me and my brother can enjoy all the different subgenres of fighting games 
then more people than currently are vocal should be able to do the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, um, the guy who spoke before me actually was my, is my brother. So oh, I'm no kidding. Runs, yeah, I'm the one who runs S factor streaming on, uh, Twitch and Twitter. So I would say just go to our Twitter, um, S factor stream at S factor stream. And, uh, um, there you'll find a link to the Twitch channel. Um, I tend to play more at night um, in Eastern time zone. Um, I'm actually starting tonight with uh, my first stream of the new year. And uh, I play mostly fighting games on the channel with the occasional other games. Um, I'm a huge fan of Sonic the Hedgehog. I grew That's the first game I ever played with Sonic 2 on the Sega Genesis. My dad introduced me to it. So I'm definitely going to play Sonic Mania and this 2017 game. Very but nice. mostly fighting games, uh, anime fighting games, King of Fighters, all of that. So, uh, you know, two or three times a week at night and then bonus streams with uh, my brother when he runs it, if I play a game with him or if I play with any of my other friends. Well, thank you so much to both of you for calling in. That's, that's really cool. I didn't, didn't even make the connection. That's really awesome. Really appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hope to be back here again sometime. No problem. Thanks. All right, when we come back, we'll wrap things up and see what we've learned. Welcome back to the Power Switch. So what have we learned today as we start the new year, start the podcast 2017, January 1st, New Year's Day, all of that. uh, It really shows the flexibility and the potential of the conversations that we can get into uh, with a call-in podcast like this. I, I, I don't think there really is anything quite like this that has taken off and become really popular, and I almost wonder why that is. But I think as you know, we, we start the show small and as we maybe have the potential to grow, I mean, it really shows the range of opinions that we can talk about. And yeah, I do have those those predictions. I mean, you know, let me know what you think of those and whether it's the comments below on Twitter at The Power Switch. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Peter J. Spezia. It's S-P-E-Z-I-A. Um, but it's 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 interesting. So, I mean, going into it, I almost thought like, oh, let's, talk, let's talk about video game predictions for 2017. But yeah, we talked about Sonic Mania. I'm really looking forward to that game. You know, kind of see how someone from the outside perspective sort of brings in a new infusion of what they believe Sonic to be for Sega. Uh, Persona 5, my most anticipated game of the year, that's going to be really interesting. I mean, for Zero Random's prediction of maybe it'll get bumped up in, in the new year, that would be cool. But I think they're at a good place right now with given the time for localization, but also that early April time slot that's not really any place where there's a lot of competition right now as far as you know games coming out. And then, yeah, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. If you're interested in all the, the leak and character talk, I mean, that's not what we discussed, but check that out. There's some interesting picks there, but it, it should be an interesting mix-up to the NBC uh, community, which has maybe reached its peak. I mean, I would argue like there was a lot of potential in those early years, but it's it's been more than five years uh, since, you know, that was February 2011 when that the first one came out and then November 2011 for Ultimate. So, yeah, we're more than five years into that game uh, to to bring the characters down to two, to have the tag out and then yeah, the Infinity Gems to have that cinematic universe. That's going to be an interesting mix up and to see the news cycle for that as it develops throughout the year. That's going to be really interesting to see how it kind of either mirrors or does things differently than what Marvel vs. Capcom 3 did. And then, yeah, for all the different fighting games that exist, I mean, as we get into an era of esports where it's it's becoming more and more popular, I mean, we saw Street Fighter V on ESPN2 this past year in 2016. And for ESPN2, when it's a place that has poker and the spelling bee, if you watch the Twitter reaction when video games and high-skill-intensive games, competitive, I mean, that's, that is pure competition at its finest and you look at twitter and people who don't understand the fighting game community are at a loss and you know verbally violently so at at the fact but we're at a point where you know esports are growing and i think the acceptance of that is going to only continue but be passionate about the games that you love but also respect the fact that people play other games you don't have to knock a fan base or a game just because it's not a style that you like that's really something that I want to promote with this show is that games are great. 
we love games, but we have different life perspectives. We have different opinions about games because games are art and that is subjective. But you can't just necessarily write off a game and say, well, that's bad. Like it's 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 an art style I don't like, so that means it's not as good as my game. Like where's the benefit in that? We're all gonna grow together with games as the game industry continues to grow and mature. It's still a very early media form. You look at you know the early years of film and kind of compare that to where we are now. I mean, you know, video games only have the potential to continue to grow, and we have to be mature enough to help it grow, but not tear each other down at the same time. So that's kind of what I've kind of gathered out of all this. I, I, I kind of like to do sort of these wrap-ups as uh, we kind of bring the show together and bring it to a conclusion. Uh, hopefully, let's see. I mean, I'm going to be in Las Vegas for a couple days, but if big game news breaks, hopefully I'll be at a, a place where I can we can do another recording. But, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the video game news cycle picks up at the start of the new year. I mean, everyone's coming back from break and obviously you've seen it's been a lot of just nothing as the the years kind of expired uh, for the video game industry. But yeah, as the year picks up again, so will the news. I think a lot of the, the discussion for this podcast is going to shift when we have those, you know, breaking news stories and everyone's going to have an opinion on it. And I think that's where uh, this is really going to flourish. But to get it started, what are your predictions for 2017 in video games? What thoughts do you have on the different topics that were brought up? Let us know in the comments. Let us know somewhere on the internet. Uh, we're at the Power Switch on Twitter. RhymesWithAsia.com is where we're hosting the show. We'll be on iTunes soon. So look for that and other podcast services, Google Play and the like. With that, I'm Peter Spasia. Switch up, call in, game on. <laughs> <laughs>